Dan Patrick. Jethro's Barbecue Studios, where every Monday get one of Jethro's world-famous meal deals. Score! This is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Miller and Condon on a Monday. Alone but I sail. It's the solo week here on Miller and Condon. Trent on a well-deserved vacation after a thriller over in Iowa City on Friday night. Congratulations to the Dragons. What a game it must have been. Ames uh, right in until the end, sent the runner from third, thinking, I'm guessing, thinking that, you know what, we got a chance here, going to take a perfect throw to get him at the plate. That's exactly what happened. Go to the bottom of the inning, and the Dragons did prevail. But by all accounts, uh, Ames gave uh, the now state champions all they could have wanted, and run a, what a run by those little Cyclones. Hats off to the Dragons. Let's not forget about the little Cyclones, who had a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, final month of the season and almost captured a, a title which would have been a major major uh, upset and a feather in their cap but state runner up for them uh, nonetheless so Trent's off for the week here's what I plan on doing uh, f- for the week and obviously with football inching its way closer we're going to talk a lot of football part of it's going to be selfish because my conversations with Bama Bob that are going to start in the middle of the week uh, I think helps prepare me for what lies ahead as much as maybe uh, some of you in the audience. But we're going to break it down, do a couple of Power 5 conferences, Wednesday, Thursday, and then uh, the um, Notre Dame, the Group of Five, and we'll lump the ACC on Friday. But going to take a look at the conferences, who we like, who we think maybe has got an upset chance, those type of things. Going to start on Wednesday with the uh, SEC and the Big Ten. Thursday we'll do the Big 12 and the Pac-12. As those two maybe now not only we joined at the hip in that uh, segment, but potentially some news coming out this week. I mean, there's been smoke for for what weeks, months now, but it seems like uh, we're getting to that point where something is going to be done, and seemingly Colorado might be that first one, or they might not. We just depends who you listen to, it depends who you read. But we'll Alabama and I will talk Big Twelve and Pac twelve uh, on Thursday, and as I mentioned, Notre Dame, then the ACC who we think the best group of five team or teams will be uh, as we work our way toward the end of the week. Coming up on the BMW of Des Moines guest list here today, in about oh, 10 minutes or thereabouts, we're going to start with Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Uh, we will uh, put a bow on the major championship season in golf. Hard to believe. Boy, I, I love the new calendar, uh, but um, in comparison it just goes so quick, doesn't it? I mean, remember the, the the gap between the Masters and the U.S. Open used to be the second weekend in April to Father's Day weekend in June, then the Open Championship where it is, and sometime in the month of August, usually oh mid to late August, you get the PGA, but now it's bing, bang, boom, and it's over. It's terrific. I think May was a, um, I think a prudent move on golf's decision to move the PGA uh, from and this is I, I get it that this happened years ago, but still I I think that um, it's worked out very very well for them to move it into May when seemingly they can uh, dominate the sports cycle, um, not have as much competition as they do when we're getting down to cuts, when college football is upon us or about to be upon us, when we're we're trying to keep up on everything we can with our whoever 
uh, whatever state you're in, your college team of choice. So just getting away from that um, and and really dominating the cycle as much as anything. But speaking of domination, that's what we saw on the golf tour, uh, the golf course this past weekend. Brian Harmon, who looks like he could be filling prescriptions at High V. I mean, put a white uh, coat on this guy. <laughs> but man, oh man, when he's on the green. So um, I was writing down some notes over the weekend, and after the after 54 holes on on Saturday, he's like 45 straight made putts from 10 feet in. I mean, think about that. 45 in a row. He finally missed one yesterday. I want to say it was the 13th hole, but finished up his 72 holes by making 58 of 59 putts from inside 10 feet. Just to flick that with Rory McIlroy, with um, Fleetwood, um, with some of the guys who were you know, certainly in contention, but for whatever reason, when they needed to make an eight-footer or a six-footer to make that birdie from 10, nine feet, they just couldn't get it to go. Meanwhile, Brian Harmon, right in the heart, time after time after time, it was there wasn't much drama in the golf tournament, uh, but finally got the weather that we've come to expect in the British Open, and it finally got here in the final round with it raining throughout the round. And the only thing we didn't have was it coming down sideways, which I guess you can get in a lot of them. But, man, Brian Harmon, just a remarkable, remarkable tournament uh, and a win by a guy who normally doesn't seal the deal. I mean, he's been in this spot before. But by his own admission, he'd just been unable to close. He gets a little bit of the yips. I mean, how about the waggles we saw out of this guy all throughout the uh, tournament? Um, it, it takes a while before he finally addresses the ball. But man, oh man, not the longest hitter by any means. But you get on that green with an opportunity to score. And most of the time, even 58 out of 59, he's going to drain that baby. And what a tournament by Brian Harmon as the major season comes to an end. I saw at Circa... Um, if you identified Brian Harmon as the guy who's got a chance, I mean, he's in the Scottish Open last uh, the week before and was in contention, just had one of those bad rounds at the end of it. Um, but if you identified Brian Harmon as the guy that you were going to put your hard-earned money on, 145-1 to 1 to begin the tournament on Brian Harden. 145-1. to 1. Not sure how that compares to any, other, any of the other shops out there, but a massive price and just a terrific round out of him. A major championship, terrific four rounds out of him. 67, 65, 69, and then 70 to end it in the far from ideal conditions uh, of, the, uh, of the final round at Royal Liverpool. So we'll talk to Matt Rudy more on the golf coming up here uh, in about seven minutes. Training camps are opening up all across the NFL. It is weird to see Aaron Rodgers in that green. It really is. Uh, saw a lot of the highlights. Maybe the um, maybe the fact that they are really uh, got the jump on everybody else. The Twitter, or I guess it's X now. How much did they pay for the rebranding of the actual X? I mean, how long did that take to come up with? Um, and I'm hoping they didn't pay a lot of money because if they did, they got robbed. Um, but if you saw it on social media over the weekend, uh, a lot of Aaron Rodgers in the Jets colors. I guess he's wearing the red out there uh, for the quarterbacks, but still just going to take some getting used to. But we'll see. Uh, all the training camps will be underway by Wednesday. So we're going to talk some NFL in addition to talking to college football. We'll take a look at the regional teams. Uh, one week from today, we're going to begin our daily conversations with the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch Holtis will join Trent and I each and every day. Training camp reports brought to us by Papa John's in Central Iowa. 
And if you're a Chiefs fan, heck, if you're a football fan, I, I don't like the Chiefs, but I love this segment. I do. Gets you ready for uh, for the NFL, and um, we'll do so with the defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Can they repeat? Of course they can. Will they repeat? That's another story. Uh, as um, Look, it's not something that they're going to have to get used to. They always have the bullseye on their back, or certainly have since 15 came into the league, and it became very apparent that this guy isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And if you do have uh, aspirations to represent the AFC, at some point you're probably going to have to get through the Chiefs or have the Chiefs come to your place and be able to pick them off. Um, Not sure, but we'll talk to Mitch Holtis a week from today. But we'll get the Packers in here. We'll do more on the Bears uh, Cappy's going to join me on Wednesday. Look forward to that conversation for a couple of reasons. I want to talk Bears with him, but what I really want to talk about is how in the world, how in the world that the um, Cubs might be entertaining trading Cody Bellinger. Isn't this a guy that you try and build around? This guy looks like he's every bit the player that he was, and maybe better. Uh, what, that he was when he won his Rookie of the Year when he broke into the majors in 2019. A couple of bad seasons, took, signed a one-year deal with the Cubs trying to you know, get his game back together, trying to prove to the league that he's worth a long-term deal. But look, at if, if you're the Cubs, you've got millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. You are one of the most well-off franchises in Major League Baseball. You're a big market. Plain and simple. This isn't one of the smaller markets out there trying to hold on to their guy. You build around guys like Cody Bellinger. And if Pete Crow Armstrong gets to the bigs and he can play like most people think he's going to be able to, fine. Bellinger can play first base. Cody Bellinger's got some uh, versatility to his game, but you build around dudes like this. I really hope they keep him. He is on a heater like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so Cappy coming up on Wednesday. Uh, he'll cover that with us, and we'll do the Vikings. going to try and get Paul Allen if his schedule will allow PA uh, tentatively on Thursday. But we'll button that up as we go through the week. But a lot of football conversation between now and when Trent gets back uh, a week from today. And I'm guessing uh, that that theme will continue right through the uh, right through the Super Bowl. Let's get Jeff in here. Matt Rudy coming up in about five minutes from Golf Digest. Look forward to uh, putting a bow on the major season with, uh, with Matt. Uh, Jeff is up first. Jeff, what's on your mind? Okay, how are you? Good. Let's talk quarterbacks. Are you all? Did you watch all eight episodes, Canada? Halfway through. Okay. Well, I don't want to spoil it. I just want to give you my take on it. Um, I mean, you know, as as where it's at. Okay. Um, are you through? First of all, are you through? I, I'm I'm through. Okay. Uh, what a great what a great doc. Um, yep. Like what you guys have talked about. I can't wait to see who the three quarterbacks are. But let's get back into into that season. Kirk Cousins. He's underrated. Yes. I, 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 he's not over. Everybody wants to say he's overrated. Look back. Check in the last five years. Uh, passing yards. Touchdowns. QBR. Mm-hmm. 10. He's in the top five in all three. Let me repeat that. All those three stats I just gave you, which are huge stats mm-hmm. for quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins is top I think he gets way too much blame, Jeff. I truly do. I get the knock that when the lights are the brightest that that maybe he doesn't play his best game. But he's been phenomenal. And here's my biggest takeaway from him, Jeff. This is as tough a quarterback as we've got in the league right now. Some of the shots that he kept getting up from were remarkable. And I agree. Ken, it's hard to win in this league. (laughs) Your your quarterback in Denver, where where was he last season? And he's he's a Hall of Famer. It is hard to win playoff games in this league. I could... I 
could go back and, and name Deshaun Watson has one playoff win. Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. who got paid 200 some million dollars, has one guaranteed. So guaranteed. So Kirk Cousins, what phenomenal! And then you want to talk about Mariota? I can't believe that Philadelphia gave him a contract to be the backup quarterback for what he did last season. And you're not caught up, so I, I won't talk about that. So that that is unbelievable. I, I can't believe that he got another deal. And then Patrick Mahomes. My wife asked me this because she watched it with me. My kids watched it with me. And you guys talked about this uh, last week. I'd have Patrick Mahomes on again. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why, why not? Have Moves the needle. Again? Moves the needle. And you pick a quarterback that won. And, yes, you could pick Joe Burrow. He'd be great. You could pick multiple quarterbacks. But you talk about moving the needle. That was awesome. Let's move on to golf. Uh, I have a couple quick takeaways. I love Roy McIlroy. And I used to love Phil Mickelson, and all those things that have came out has changed my way. But is Roy McIlroy, is he falling into that Phil Mickelson, getting a bunch of seconds? Everybody loves him now. Phil has lost that love. But you understand what I'm saying. It's been a decade since he's won a major. Everybody likes him, and here he is, again, falling short. Number two, uh, I'm training for a marathon. I ran 19 miles yesterday. Oh, boy. Off on Saturday. Thank you. Um and again, you talk about moving the needle. I didn't watch five minutes of the British Open. And you know, because I call in all the time mm-hmm. talking about golf, there was no moving the needle. Mm-hmm. I, Brian Harmon's a great story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand he ran away with it. But when they don't have it tight, and I understand Ron was there, they, I get all that. But again, we keep saying move the needle. There was no needle mover mm-hmm. to, for the British Open. And that, and that sucks because it's the last major. I want to see the stars come up. Um, I understand it was a great venue, all of it. Um, it just didn't move the needle for me like I, I was hoping it would. Ken, I can't wait to talk to you down the road. Have a good day. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. I think you make a very good point at the end. Um, well, you make a lot of good points. I'm anxious to see the television numbers. Uh, I do think that they're going to be down. I know that um, NBC and DirecTV – now, is I don't – what I'm not sure of – uh, are all NBC markets in the same boat as we are here in Des Moines? I can't. I can't think that that's the case. But um, look, locally here it was difficult, right? If you're a Directv subscriber, you had to, you know, make other arrangements for you to, to be able to watch the golf tournament. Um, and there was no drama. There were. There was nothing in the uh, final. Uh, for the most part, the back nine. The yeah, Straka got close. Got to within what I think three at one point. The lead had shrunk to. But then right after that, Harmon would go birdie birdie to get, to open up that lead again. Uh, let's get Matt Rudy in here. Golf Digest. Uh, Matt's been uh, good enough to join us. Well, good enough to join me in shows I've been part of for over twenty years. Certainly grateful for that. The 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 major season, Matt. It's just I can't believe it's already gone. I mean, it's just. It's just seemingly boom. It's April. It's the Masters, and here we are bringing the curtain down on another uh, season of major championships. This one, I'm anxious to get your take. It was it was fun watching uh, Brian Harmon just dissect the golf tournament, and in particular, do what he did on the greens, 58 of 59 within 10 feet. Not a lot of drama in this one down the stretch, though, was there, Matt? No, but I think that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to extract all the drama out of it. That's what he did. Um, I. I you can't fault what he did. You can't fault the strategy. There's 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 nothing to to pick at. He he controlled his ball under tough conditions. He did it in the wind. He did it in the rain. And there was a great leaderboard chasing him. There, I mean, there's it wasn't like he beat a bunch of no names. So mm-hmm. at, at, at that point, he uh, you, they always say it's, it's hard to sleep on the lead, and he slept on a big lead, and he 
took care of it. He had a little stumble at the at the beginning on Saturday morning and on Sunday morning, but he righted himself pretty quickly, like you just said. Every, every test you could give somebody in a major, he passed it. So help me out with Brian Harmon. Um, is is this a guy that um, you know? I, I read I read when he was in school at Georgia. He was uh, very highly thought of. Was this a guy that when he became a pro, Matt? As you think back, that uh, you thought was going to have, you know, would would one day win a major championship? Was was that a guy? Was that the way you thought of Brian Harmon? Well, I don't. I don't think if you'd said he'd win a major, I would say that that he wouldn't. He's in that category. And and we've talked a lot on this on this show about Zach Johnson as a great example. Yeah. The, the 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 difficulty for any player that doesn't just bomb it is that you have to have every part of your game going, like we just saw with with Brian Harmon. You, you have to win a major. All those things have to come together. You can't get bailed out by you know being able to hit it three fifty in the air. And so the you know the the majors are more difficult to win. They need to come under very particular kinds of conditions, kind of like we saw this week. And it has to come together for you, and it has to not come together for other people that can hit it, you know, fifty yards by you. So I would not have said it was somebody that couldn't win a major. I mean, just to keep things in perspective, he did win the U.S. Junior, which is a big deal, and he was on, mm-hmm. you know, every every big amateur team cup you could think of. He was a great player in college, and he's won a couple of PGA Tour events before this, and he's ranked twenty fifth in the world. So mm. he, he he isn't somebody I would pick as my favorite, but you know, the fact that he won, he's a very He's a very solid player who's always been known as a as a as a good ball striker and someone with a great twerking. You know, so, he's. Uh, I'm and, sorry, and then, anyway, and those those skills got rewarded mm-hmm. at a, at a course that demanded a complete game for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm um, I, I I was struck by his uh, interviews after after the uh, after he clinched the championship and talking about the fans and heckling etc. and how he used that. You, you've covered British Opens. I guess I was unaware that, uh, at least at some of the venues for the British Open, it kind of takes on a Phoenix Open type of mentality <laughs> as far as the trash talking. You know, don't choke, miss it, Brian, that type of thing. And that, <laughs> that, that, that's being, that's being mild. I can't say some of the stuff that apparently was thrown, was hurled at him verbally. But were you aware that there, is this something that goes on at most British Opens? Well, I've heard pockets of that before, and, and certainly in recent years, they've tried to pick venues, and St. Andrews last year was a good example. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of people there. You know, they they, they want to sell tickets, and I, and I mean this as a, as a compliment. You know, they want to sell tickets to as many people as possible and give as many people the chance to come see it as they can get. And there isn't any doubt. And I don't want this to come across as a criticism either, because I mean I'm making my living talking to you and being on social media and writing, you know, writing pieces mm-hmm. of the media. The 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 social media component and the willingness of people to trash talk each other now on on various you know digital forums certainly has made its way into sports. And and I think golf is just in a lot of ways golf is behind the times in general. This is another way where I think golf is catching up to other sports. That that trash talking certainly in soccer. In many other sports, that's just part of it. And and I think tour players have gotten a pass for a long time because they got to play basically in a cathedral where everybody was quiet. And and I think realistically it's probably going to be more like the Phoenix Open or like what we saw this weekend <laughs> coming forward. That's just the way fans operate now. Uh, Matt Rudy from Golf Digest is, uh, is my guest. So how will this change Brian Harmon's life? We keep hearing that you win a major, changes – uh, at least for some guys, uh, the, the the first one it, it, it changes their lives in some respects. Uh, is Brian Harmon? What? Uh, how do you think it, uh, it will affect him? 
I, I, one of my favorite quotes from his press conference yesterday was they said that he has a great life. He has a great family. He has hobbies he loves. Uh, he owns a 40-acre hunting farm in Georgia, and he, he does all the things he wants to do now, and he loves to play golf, and I think he's going to do all those same things, just make a little bit more money. Um, he, he said he's going to get some better tee times, and he's going to get yeah. some more promotional opportunities, but, but I don't think it's going to change. Um, I, I don't think that his trajectory as a 36-year-old guy who's a, you know, he's an established player, but he's not, uh, you know, it's not Ludwig Adberg, you know, a 20-year-old or 21-year-old who's coming out on the tour and winning a major this early in his career where it's going to set all these different expectations. I really like the Zach Johnson comparison. Zach yeah. Johnson's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's, a, you know, he's won two majors and had an unbelievable overachiever career. And if Brian Harmon has a career like that, I mean, that's a, that's a career well-lived for sure. Speaking of Brian Harmon and Zach Johnson, do you think Zach Johnson will add him to the Ryder Cup team? Oh, I think he's going to make it. I mean, he's you on his own, okay? The, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to be one of the six players that that get enough points. Yeah, there's four events. There's four counting events left, and the and the British Open is a big. There's a lot of points for winning majors. But even if he didn't make it on points, he's going to get picked for sure. I think what where it becomes interesting is if Brooks Koepka gets bumped out of one mm. of those six spots, <laughs> does he get picked? And Justin Thomas isn't anywhere near yeah. going to get any get enough points, and he's been playing really, really poorly. And and he and Zach Johnson are tight. Will Zach pick? You know, you know wow. is that is a Justin Thomas pick going to be a that that'll be an interesting one for sure. That's one of the you know that's one of the underrated I, I think uh, areas of being captain, right? I mean, you you have to make some tough decisions, and you just mentioned Zach and JT very tight. And if he has to let his buddy know that he's being passed over, now I don't know. Justin Thomas might be the type of guy that looks in the mirror and looks at his scorecard and says, "I don't deserve to be on this team." Um, oh, I think yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that's where he is right now. But the Ryder Cup brings out different things and different players for sure. The other thing that works against Justin Thomas is the American bench is unbelievable. I mean, there's 25 players that could mm-hmm. that could have a claim to be on the Ryder Cup team, and none of them would be a you know would be a disappointing selection. So this was not a good year to struggle, and uh, and, and I do think JT would be the first one to say, hey, if you got to go a different direction, I'm not where I want to be. I mean, you should you should do what you need to do to win the cup. I, I think I think he says that. Uh, I want to ask you about Rory McIlroy, who once again, I mean, he's always close. He seems like an annuity. You can bet him top tens <laughs> and and seemingly you're going to cash. But we're starting to get to that point, right, where what's it been now, Matt, nine years since his last major? Mm-hmm. Um, again, he's always right there. He's one of the best players in the world. I don't care who's ever having the conversation. McIlroy is going to come up. Um how does he break through? Is it just, I mean, it's going to happen one of these times. It's an anomaly. This guy's way too good for him not to one in the last nine years. How does he break through? It's funny because you're right. It's almost like Gonzaga in college basketball. Yeah, it's a good you're point. Good enough to be good, good enough to be in the final four every year, but you're not going to, you haven't won one. And, and you know, the, the, the amazing thing is he's gone the nine years that are the absolute peak of his physical career, you know, 20 24 to 30, you know 25 to 34 you know age bracket that's that's the peak and he hasn't won one and then you look at the scores and I just saw a stat the other day where in the last eight majors I think he's seven or eight shots better hmm. than anybody else aggregated for those eight majors and he doesn't have anything to show for it so his point is a good one which is to say if I just keep doing what I'm doing I'm going to win one either I'm going to do it I'm going to take one or somebody's going to drop one and I'm going to be there to pick it up and I think that's Right, you know, I think the issue comes when you go out and press and try and you know and, and try to do more to do it. 
Um, I don't know that he's found the combination yet. He stopped talking to the media before before the last few majors, and I think that's a conscious decision to try to be focused. He came into Augusta National two weeks early as a way of trying to get ready for that one, and 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 I think it's it's a matter of finding what combination of those tweaks can work for him, and also remembering that he has lots of time. Mickelson didn't start winning majors till he was thirty five, so I mean there is plenty of time. Mm. Uh, if you had to, uh, we had to vote right now for player of the year uh, in golf. Uh, there was four different majors winners. Uh, might it be John? Is John Rom the player of the year? I think so. I mean, that's, uh, he's won a major. I mean, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to imagine given what even on this show how we've been talking, for example, about Scotty Scheffler and how bad his putting yeah. is. Yeah. Even with all that, this tur- this past week is the first tournament Scotty's been outside the top ten in calendar year two thousand twenty three. Hmm. So. Um, Scotty's Scotty's won a whole bunch of money. He's the number one player in the world. He won the Players' Championship and he won Phoenix. I mean, that's that's a great resume. But you know, I, I think the, res, the 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 major championship win sets it apart. And of the major winners, Rom has got the best overall resume. I would say right now. You know, Scheffler obviously wants to um, be a better putter. Why can't he be? Is it, you'd think that I mean, this is one of the, again one of the best players in the whole world. Except when he's got the flat stick and he just struggles so mightily. Why? It's interesting. I, I, I'm close with his coach. I've, I've been friends with Randy Smith for more than 20 years, and we were discussing this the other day. And the hardest part about teaching an elite player, and Scotty is right up there at the top of the mountain, is that they're never satisfied with where they are. They always want to improve, and it's difficult as a coach to say, "Hey, you should, you know, everything you're doing right now is great. Just leave it alone and play." They always want something else to just get a little bit better, and sometimes the you know the coach gives the player something, and the player looks around and and, and picks something off the shelf that they heard somebody else say. Or uh, you know, I can remember when Scotty was going to the to, to Hawaii for the you know, tournament of champions, and he had tried something in the off season with his grip just on his own, and, and Randy said his grip had shifted almost two inches. You know, when you get mm. to that level of golf, mm. and a, and, a, and a player could look down and not notice that that was happening. That's that's not an indictment of the player or the teacher. It just shows you that you know the, the those players' minds are like sponges, and it's just as it's just as hard to manage what goes in as it is to manage what stays out. And and I think it's a question of finding you know, you know tinkering and, and trying to get back to where he was before. But I think every player that's gone through a stretch like that. I'll tell you, finding that crumb trail to get back is mm. it's pretty hard sometimes. A couple more minutes with Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Matt, I don't think we brought his name up uh, in uh, before the U.S. Open or afterwards. We certainly didn't talk about him leading up to the Open, but we got to bring up Tiger Woods and 254 <laughs> days or whatever it is away from next year's Masters. What do we think? And I'm not. I don't want him to be at this point in his career the uh, ceremonial tee shot. He's too young for that. They'll come. At time, I'm assuming he, he takes that role should he want to. What do you think? Uh, will I, I have to assume he's going to want to try? Um, what's sure. the likelihood? Do you think? You know, I have mixed feelings about that question because there's part of me that thinks the the plantar fasciitis and you know and and having to sit out some of these stretches just physically, I think is is keeping mileage off the clock, which might be better mm. for somebody who's as fragile as he has been over the last few years. That might be a better thing, and it might be a better, uh, uh, you know, something better for a player who's forever gonna, now going to have to manage is, you know, how many swings he takes and how much practice he can do and how many tournaments he can play. Um, the other part of that, though, is it, is 
the, the competition is not getting any easier. You know, right. The players are getting younger and bigger and faster. So I think it's a two-part question. Number one, can he physically put it back together again and do it again? I think if you know this, this is a player where money is no object and expertise is no object. He has an unbelievable team around him, ready to do whatever it is. Any you know, like LeBron James, you know, whatever piece of tech, whatever you know, Beamer bed or, or you know, hyperbaric chamber, you, know, you mm-hmm. name it, you, whatever specialist you need, he'll get that. So I think physically, if it's possible to be put back together and do it, I think he's going to do it. The broader question is. I mean, just look at what we saw with Brian Harmon. You know, five foot six guy who was a middling length hitter, just won a major championship. Can Tiger Woods come back and be kind of the Frank Tanana phase of his career, where he's <laughs> throwing eighty yeah. eighty eight instead of ninety eight? Yeah. Could he still win one? Sure, of course he could still win one. Does that mean he could win the Masters? Maybe not as likely as winning a British Open or, or a U.S. Open or something. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count him out. I think it's it's two pieces. It's you know the body part and then the you know, is there enough of a game there to do it again? I love the Frank Tanet. I use it a lot. I mean, this was a fireballer, right? In, in upper 90s right. and gets hurt. And at that time, I think it was late 70s, early 80s, the surgery wasn't what it once was. And he reinvented himself and pitched for a whole lot more years. Uh, unbelievable. Yep. Last thing, what about Tiger's kid? Um, when the circles that you hang out with, do they think he's got a chance? I think uh, junior golf. It's hard, you know, and again, we'll use Harmon as an example. He won everything as a junior player, and he was a small kid. And it just has to do with, you know, when you, what you grow up into physically, number one, you know, can you hit it far enough? I don't think we know the answer to that yet for Charlie. And number two, how much drive do you have? You can have the greatest dad in the world, mm-hmm. the greatest genes, the greatest coaching, all those things. He also, his dad has a billion dollars. Right. And, you know, yeah. and, and going going into that job where you know you never really have to work again, you need to have a, even more passion for it than somebody else who needs to claw their way out. And that and that's a tough thing to put on a young kid and just assign them that drive and that want to. Mm. So you know, is he is he in that batch of junior players who has the you know the the skill set and the and the coaching that that could get it done? Sure, but there are a lot of really good junior players that don't end up being anything more than college golfers because you know the last step is the tallest one. Yeah, what do you got going between now and the Ryder Cup? What are you working on? Uh, we just moved, so still unpack. I got to unpack. Yeah, I got to unpack, and then my mom's coming to town. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna try to do nothing here for a couple weeks. Uh, good for you, good for you, my friend. You deserve it. Listen, as always, Matt. Thanks for an incredible year of talking majors uh, with my, myself and with Trent. Um, we'll run you down before it happens to be Michigan State, your alma mater, Iowa week, the same week as the Ryder Cup. So we'll find a few minutes to do a, a Sparty update and preview the Ryder Cup. Thanks for what you do for me, Matt Rudy. I really appreciate right. it. Yep. Yep. Good to talk to you. Matt Rudy, uh, Golf Digest, is uh, we put a bow on the major championships with uh, a good friend of the program. All right, time for another $1,000 home run. This is the final week of this contest. We had a winner down the hall on the 100.3 The Bus last week. KXNO still looking to put one in the wind column. Uh, head to KXNO.com right now. The keyword is bonus. Bonus. Type that into the pop-up box. Your chance to win $1,000. Bonus at KXNO.com. Another opportunity less than an hour throughout the afternoon. Murph and Andy in the drive with Heather and Sean. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. He joins me next. It's Big Ten Media Days coming up in the middle of the week. Doc will uh, help me out on the Hawks. And uh, we'll recap his lengthy piece on the whole realignment with Jim Delaney. It's a fascinating read. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 106.
Condon, and welcome back to Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. With you until uh, 1 o'clock, hour number 2, Matt Snyder from CBSSports.com. We'll talk baseball, uh, and then Nick Oson covers Iowa State. He'll join me at about 12.30. Right now, Scott Dockerman uh, writes for the Athletic Big Ten Media Days. Uh, start on Wednesday over in Indianapolis. Doc, Ken, uh, good to speak with you. Trent's off this week, so just me. Uh, where I want to start with you is, is uh, your, your lengthy piece uh, with with Jim Delaney and and his roles and his influence on, on realignment uh, in today's piece on Penn State is eye opening for a number of reasons. Uh, just some of the behind the scenes stuff, and I guess what I don't remember, Doc, is you know just where Northwestern was. Seemingly, uh, their their thought process was we're teetering here. That oh no, they're bringing Penn State in at our expense. And there was real fear amongst the Wildcats and their faithful that um, this might not work well for Northwestern. It's a really good read, Doc. How are you? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me on. And I, I would say that with this uh, situation, that I didn't realize it was as contentious as it was until talking to Delaney and then confirming that with conversations with Stan Eikenberry and and uh, Thomas Erlish, and, and, and then, of course, Audrey talked to Dana, Donna Shalala, and mm-hmm. we were really getting a, a deep dive into what happened, the politics and, and what happened. You. And, and it was really a, a bad situation from the very beginning where the presidents decided to bring in Penn State right. without consulting the athletics. Usually it's the other way around. I mean, the, the start yeah. comes in the other way. And, you know, you just saw, saw a war in Northwestern, in the late 80s, early 90s, was the worst program in collegiate sports. Great institution, of course, and academic is off the charts, but, uh, you know, there were some flirtations between Northwestern and the Ivy League, and and uh, most leagues, in fact, I don't think any leagues were bigger than 10, and they, at least of the major leagues at that point. So, you know, it was rare to say, oh, they're going to 11. 11 is just a weird number, you know, a prime number and right. everything. So that's uh, that was really concerning, and it wasn't until the, really the, the last day where they were able to, to persuade uh, Northwestern just by saying, we will not change our composition for at least the next three years, and that just happened to coincide with the, the Ar- Arnie Weber, uh, the president's uh, mm-hmm. contract. Uh, Bo Schembecker, I want, to, I want to pick your brain on Bo Schembecker. Reading about him, um, you know, knowing what we know from a, from afar and seeing him on the sidelines, etc. Was he maybe as um, as powerful an athletic director in his time as anybody, Doc? Yeah, he was, and um, you know, in part, most of that was because of his success and kind of cantankerous nature as a coach. Uh, and he moved over to be the AD for a short period of time. But you know, you think about. You know, Bill Frieder, um, gonna mm-hmm. take the job at Arizona State and he's like only a Mich- you know, Michigan guy, a right. Michigan man will coach Michigan and and uh, with this he was he was somebody who didn't trust any kind of presidential control over athletic institutions and and he and made that pretty clear and, and kinda what Delaney had mentioned was that era was not a real kumbaya league. It was split into silos when you had the presidents operating in mm-hmm. one direction, you had the the um, 80s and coaches feeling a different way and they really never interacted and and we have a powerful man and voice and you know image like Bo Schembeck where he can really sway the room and then you have Bobby Knight at Indiana and mm. kind of those two in some ways I mean that's they just about kept the Penn State out just by their sheer force of will. What did Delaney learn through the whole Penn State process as he set to you know set 
college sports course, at least at the beginning of his career, that had to, he had to learn some important lessons way back in his early tenure. He did. He said it was really an eye-opening moment, an experience that they needed to work better together. And, and as you can imagine, there was so much information that was on the cutting room floor. And, sure. and uh, he said once the 80s started to change over and Bob Bowlesby came to Iowa and then the Gordon D went to Ohio state as president. And, you know, they started to work better together. And he said, you needed to start building that kind of consensus, not us versus them. It's, and, uh, so, and, but then he said he kind of screwed up the second, uh, process by being too transparent regarding when they got Nebraska and talking about it openly and what they were going to do. And, and he thought of that as kind of a failed process as well. So it wasn't until round three, which I think, you know, they actually did break the law in in uh, Maryland, you know, with the uh, beating in, in clandestine spots with the, at least with the Maryland side of things. So mm-hmm. none of them really came off unhitched, and, or you know, all of them were had some issues. Uh, Wednesday, when you guys get to Indianapolis at some point, I haven't seen the itinerary, or I have, but it didn't uh, sink in. Um, Tony Petiti's going to address everybody, I'm assuming. What do you think some of the bigger topics are that uh, NIL is going to be something that's on his plate? I'm sure it's going to be a talker at all, or has been up to this point, and will continue to be at all of these press conferences. But what do you want to hear from the new commissioner, Tony Petiti? Well, that's a great question because we haven't, we, you know, he's had his opening press conference, but it was kind of at a busy time. I think if I recall is maybe during the NFL draft, and then we haven't really heard anything from him since. So, it, you know, I, I really want to know more about him and and what his plans are for the league and, and maybe how some things are, have been, you know, solidified since then, you know, dealing with television. Uh, that was a big issue a few months ago. Um, you know, as that kind of came back down to earth at, you know, what's uh, his line on bringing in USC and Penn and, and UCLA, I'm sorry, and USC to, to make it a better league? How are you going to help them travel-wise? Because that's going to be really excessive. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot there, um, you know, for him to answer. I don't know that expansion is going to be part of it, but that's a question that has to be asked now every single time you have that opportunity. So it's uh, we're at a really interesting juncture with with Tony Petiti. We we are. And, and Doc, the only reason I'm asking you this is because seemingly for The Athletic, one of the hats you wear is the television when it comes to contracts, etc. And leagues trying to come up with their new media rights. And no, I'm not going, I'm not leading to the Pac-12. I'm leading to ESPN and their possibility that we learned late last week that they are at least uh, kicking the tires on a relationship with uh, both the NBA uh, and the NFL and maybe even Major League Baseball. What do you read into that doc for espn yes uh well they, they have their rights correct yep all three yep yeah so i don't know what they would do differently i mean i think the nba is the one that's kind of on the ascent the nfl is the goliath of the yep uh, of television and major league baseball is is not it's been falling down and so I think if I'm MLB, I definitely want to continue that relationship. Yeah, I wonder if the Big Ten got out with ESPN at the right time, right? Because <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll see what's going on with the four-letter network. All right, let's talk about uh, uh, Big Ten media days. Of course, Kirk Ferentz is going to be there. Have you been able to um, get your arms around the whole Noah Shannon thing? Um, 
I, I'm still, I don't know why it bothers me. Not bothers me, why it sticks with me. The fact that they would name him as one of the uh, three participants representing the University of Iowa. Uh, and Ferentz had to know that his name was at least associated with the, with the gambling story. That I mean, who knows when it's going to come to an end or we're going to get any clarity on it. But it was Noah Shannon that uh, went forward um, on his own. Uh, and went public with the fact that he is one of the names and decided to remove himself. Why did Iowa name him in the first place? They had to have known. That's what I would like to know. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a little more clarity on that today and then in a couple of days. But I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm i only speculating because I don't know the correct answer necessarily. But it could be he could be very well low in this. I mean, I and mm-hmm. I don't. You know, maybe he's just going to get the education part of it. Maybe it's two hundred dollars. He could be a lot more than that too. I don't know, but he's a six-year guy, a two-time, two-year starter, going to be in a year three as a starter, mm-hmm. stand-up person. They look at who they send to Indianapolis or differently than what we want. We want usually best players, most interesting players. They want people who best represent the program, and Noah Shannon is in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, an outstanding young man who does everything right for Iowa. And, and so that's probably more the rationale. Now, I would expect them to think that he's in a, they're not going to send him if they think he's going to miss the season or he's going to miss half the season. Yeah. So I, my guess is it's very minor, but he, without this being adjudicated yet, that he's going to be on the hook for a lot of questions that he probably doesn't want to answer. Mm-hmm. And my assumption is that he decided, you know, it's, Rather than go there and get you know half an hour's worth of questions about gambling, that maybe I just want to go there and uh, you know I don't want to go at all because it's not going to be about football. <laughs> right? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, behind him on the depth chart is Aaron Graves. How big of a jump um, do you think Phil Parker expects to see Aaron Graves make this year? From you know his freshman campaign, we came in with all the hype around him. Now his sophomore campaign, an entire off season with the program. How big is that jump going to be? Do you think? I think it's going to be massive. I think both he and Y.A. Black, if yep. they stay healthy, they could be a better tandem than what they have in front of them with Noah mm. Shannon and Logan Lee. And I think Logan Lee is probably uh, going to have an NFL opportunity. I'm not as sure about Noah, probably an opportunity, but you know his height probably will keep him down. But I think Y.A. Black and, uh, and Aaron Graves are both future NFL starters in ability. Uh, why he's been hurt, but he's got that kind of a demeanor. And, and Aaron Graves has, has gained 20 to 25 pounds this offseason. Looking at him in the spring, I mean, he went from being uh, looking like Mr. Incredible to <laughs> now looking like the mountain, uh, him or Emma Jennings Dunker, one of the two. But <laughs> So I, I think he's going to be an impact player on defense and probably one of those players that, you know, depending on how much Noah misses, uh, you know, people talk about Aaron Graves the way maybe they did uh, Lucas Van Ness last mm. year. It's just uh, Aaron Graves won't be able to go to the draft next year. That's right. One more year for him. Enjoyed your piece on Joe Evans and Cade McNamara, an unlikely friendship, Doc. Well, thanks. It is interesting when you look at it, just how open both of them were, but yeah. especially Joe, about not liking him. Right. And, uh, you know, within two weeks they became best buds. I think that happens. You know, it happens with guys – when you're five years old on the playground and you get a, mm-hmm. in a fight over who's going to be Luke Skywalker in Star Wars or, <laughs> to, and then become best buds a day later, and it certainly happens in football. So, But two uh, high-character guys I would consider captains on this team or close to it, and uh, you know, for them to build that kind of friendship and, and already 
I think speaks well of of what's going to happen with this team with a lot of transfers. Yeah, you know, and so things could go the opposite way. And instead, they're going in the positive direction. You know, and is that one of the questions that still lingers out there? Certainly not with McNamara, but the uh, the the transfers that they brought in, right? It was unlike Ferentz and company to bring as many, and how they're going to fit. And seemingly, a lot of these guys are going to be asked to play significant roles. Is that one of Ferentz's big question marks? Do you think just? Uh, I uh, mean, obviously identified the talent in the players, but how they're going to work together. How much? How long will it take to gel? Is that a, a question that lingers through the month of August? I think it does for the skill position players more than anybody. Uh, and part of that is just communication on the field, but also how they work with the holdovers. And, um, and I think that's why that trip to California was so beneficial. Um, when you have Seth Anderson and... and Caleb Brown and, and Cade McNamara all, you know, throwing and catching passes and, and, uh, working together alongside Nico Ragini and, and mm-hmm. the tight ends, Eric All. And I, I think that a lot of that got smoothed over. And, but yeah, it, it's, it's all going to matter what happens in, you know, in, in Ames in the second weekend on third and four. That's, that's really where it comes together. Now, the, the, uh, older, um, front line guys, um, on offense, especially, you know, you know, Rusty, uh, you know, Feth yeah, and yeah. Dejan Parker and, and even Eric All, but all of them were starters, multi-year starters at their previous schools. Uh, you know, Rusty Feth and, and Dejan Parker are making steps up. They kind of know their place and they're, they're working through that and everybody seems to be rallying around them. Eric All's got the similar personality. So I think based on my conversations with these guys, that I don't think that's going to be much of a problem. I think if there's anyone that's a lingering concern, it's maybe the wide receivers with the quarterback. Get you out of here on this, Doc. Uh, when uh, Scott Frost went to Chicago at the time for his first Big Ten media days, full of bravado, I'm not sure you were in, in the room or you went have been in a side session or whatever, talking about if you're going to get us, you better get us now because we're coming, dot, dot, dot. Of course, it didn't work out. How do you think Matt Rule approaches uh, this Wednesday, Thursday in Indianapolis? I think he show, displays some confidence, but I think he also understands the humility of the situation better than Scott Frost. Of course, everybody did more than Scott Frost. Right. So I, I would expect him to, to approach it as, um, you know, you're confident with your guys. You're putting in a program. You feel good about it, and, and you think some good things are on the horizon. But I wouldn't expect him to say anything near what Scott Frost did. You know, hopefully these guys will be worried about us. And, right. Yep. Um, you know, yep. it, it, it takes – some proof to do that you can be bravado you know show bravado until you lose and they you know then some of those years they lost the first game at you know northwestern illinois and mm-hmm. and then also uh you know this year they play at minnesota to start the season that's certainly not a automatic w for, say. for nebraska you know yeah. i'd probably put them as the underdog so i think they're a touchdown I, I dog yeah i think minnesota's favored by a touchdown yeah physical team runs yeah. the ball well um it's tough so, you know, so that's what I would expect from Nebraska. Uh, other than the coverage of uh, Big Ten Media Days, which is a lot, what else, you got anything working on? Anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I've, I've got uh, some coach interviews, like everybody does. I got one today uh, from Iowa. Plus, you know, now starting to work in a little bit more Iowa football-centered stuff. But also, while I'm there, I'm going to be ta- writing some Big Ten stories. So. Um, you know, television is, is a topic I'm pretty mm-hmm. planning on addressing. Six uh, in the Big Ten West, six out of the seven starting quarterbacks are transfers, so that's kind of a big wow. news 
kick it for me. And then we've got one, Stuart Mandel and I have one more big realignment story on Rutgers coming, I think, next Monday. So, so we're still, uh, still working through this series. Good stuff, Doc. It's terrific read. Really is. It refreshes memories and uh, takes us down past that didn't even know we're, the, we're there, like the Northwestern story uh, here today. Doc, have a great week. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. Scott Docterman is, uh, we take a look at the Big Ten in Iowa with our buddy Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Uh, there's always sales going on. You probably get it for a buck a month at some point here uh, if you haven't already subscribed. Stuart Mandel uh, was at Big 12 Media Days and his piece, at, or uh, Big 12, Pac 12 Media Days, beg your pardon. Um, his piece in The Athletic on Friday was everything is fine. Um, Listen to everything going on. I don't know. Mandel is a, is a really good college football guy. I think he's a little too close to the Pac-12 story. Ross Dellinger, at, it was at the same media days, in the same press conferences. Um, his story was Colorado flirts with exit to the Big 12. So Stuart Mandel hears it one way. Uh, the writer from Yahoo covers college sports. Dellinger heard it the complete opposite way. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. Something's got to give, doesn't it? Uh, time out, come back, finish up hour number one. Got another keyword in the second hour of the program. Also have Matt Snyder from CBSSports.com. Look forward to catching up baseball with him. Going to go with Cody Bellinger right off the bat. I can't see how the Cubs, yeah, they're going to get a, a pretty good haul for him, you would think. But, man, this is the type of player you build around. He's 28. He's coming into his prime. You've seen it before. Hell, since the All-Star break, he's been the best player in baseball, certainly on that very short list. And they're going to ship him out? Don't you try and sign him at the very least? Uh, we'll talk to uh, Matt Snyder about that. And then Nick Oston on Iowa State. Miller and Condon are on Des Moines Sports Station, 106. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, right, Miller Condon. Welcome back to Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. You know, for a Monday night in Major League Baseball, some big, big series playoff-wise. Look, there's only two months left of the regular season. Two months and a little bit, right? Most teams have passed the 100 games played mark. But Baltimore, who now leads the East, think about that. What a story those Orioles are. Uh, they go to Philadelphia. Seattle is in, uh, up in the Twin Cities. Seattle trying to win a wild card. Minnesota trying to lay claim to the Central. Got the first and second place teams in the National League Central, separated by a half a game in Milwaukee and Cincinnati. First and second place teams in the National League uh the American League West, rather, Texas and Arizona. Adam Wainwright, is this his final start of his career for the Cardinals? If he can't turn it around, how many more opportunities will Mozeliak and Marmol and company keep giving Uncle Charlie to run out there and try and, you know, resurrect at least or save face, I guess, at this point? I'm rooting for him tonight. That's one of the games I'm going to pay attention to. I don't want to see these guys have been so good for so long in their career. Sure, they stayed a year too long, probably did, but I uh, hope he gets to go out with a little bit of dignity. He's not pulled after one inning after giving up seven runs and dot, dot, dot. He's been brutal, so we'll be watching that. We'll be talking baseball with Matt Snyder to kick off our number two, CBSSports.com. For Matt Snyder, Iowa State conversation at the bottom of the hour with Nick Oson. Before that, we'll give you another chance to win $1,000. This is the final week of this go-round for keywords. Uh, KXNO still looking to... uh, Make it through to the winner's circle with our first winner in this 
nationwide contest. Hour two coming up next. It's Miller and Condon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO.